John chapter 10. I'm going to read the same portion that uh, we read last week, which would be um, beginning with verse, verse 22, and I'm going to read clear through the, the end of the uh, chapter. John chapter 10, verse 22. We're talking this morning about uh, security. His flock secure. And I'll touch upon that as I read, read into those verses. But in uh, verse 22, we have the time setting. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. I want to pause here for a second to remind you what Jesus is talking about here. He is the good shepherd. He's not talking about holding us in his hand. He's talking about his care for us. We're in the shepherd's care. This is wholly unlike the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the priests of that day that are now so opposed to Jesus, who failed at God's declaration that they should be the shepherds of Israel, as we saw in the 34th chapter of Ezekiel. Jesus is telling us and telling them, particularly telling the Pharisees, my sheep are under my care. They're in my hand. And nobody is able to take them out of my, out of my hand. My Father, who, is, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. The thief and the robbers that were mentioned there in the earlier, chap, in the earlier verses of the, of the chapter. Nobody is able to take them out of my Father's hand either. We care for the sheep. We guard them. We watch over them. And then I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? Actually, Psalm 86. I said you were gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am now, if I am, excuse me, not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, then though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I, in the fa and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from them. He went away across Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at the first, and there he remained. And many came to him and said, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. May God bless the reading of his word. For a text of the morning, I would like to go to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11, where God makes this wonderful promise, and it's uh, sung in the Messiah, 
uh, at the Christmas time, but here it is. Isaiah 40 and verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So, by way of review, as we've been preaching through this chapter, the Good Shepherd Discourse here, and I want to remind you that this Good Shepherd Discourse is a stern rebuke of the failed shepherds of Israel who were warned by the Lord there in Ezekiel 34, and particularly verses 9 and 10 of that chapter, we read this, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. The problem here is the shepherds were using the sheep for their advantage rather than being a sacrifice and giving themselves for the, for the advantage of the sheep. And it's interesting in this passage here, the Lord is not being defensive. He's not just merely responding to their questions and accusations and trying to convince them that he was really... The, the right one, and, and uh, you know, I'm sorry you don't understand this, don't see this, and I'm trying to tell you, and I'm hoping that you'll listen to me, and so, huh, this is not what he's doing. He's on the offensive. He's warning and informing them that their leadership of the nation was doomed to divine judgment, and this warning then comes in two parts. We looked at the first part there, which is actually clear back into the ninth chapter, the 39th verse of the ninth chapter, and goes down through uh, verse 21 of the 10th chapter. When, and in that portion, Jesus is saying, for judgment I came into this world. That's 9.39. He clearly referred to the failed shepherds of Israel as thieves and robbers who steal, kill, and destroy. That's verse 10 of chapter 10. At best, they were hired hands caring only for their own safety, which is verse 12. This he said right after he rescued one of his sheep whom they had expelled from the synagogue. This man dared to stand up to them and question their motives and suggest that what they were missing was the clarity of the sign. He healed a man who was blind from birth. That impressed a lot of people, but it didn't impress the leaders of Israel. Because the leaders of Israel weren't impressed by anything but themselves. And when Jesus comes along, they can't see the signs, so they reject him. And it's the signs that are the proof of his Messiahship. We, there are a lot of Pentecostal preachers running around which, that, that pretend to be doing signs and wonders to get people to, to look to them, but the simple fact of the matter is Jesus came and his miracles were not the norm for Christian uh, ministry. They were the signs that pointed to His being unique. Messiah, the sent one from God. And that they should believe Him and look to Him. So He, this, he said right after this, He rescued then one of these sheep that was, was expelled from the synagogue. And some of the Pharisees heard Him and, and so they ask, in effect, are you speaking about us? <laughs> and Jesus replied, yes. And if you understood your guilt, you, would, you could be saved. But because you claim you need no salvation, you remain in your sin 
and your guilt, and you will be judged for it. So at this point, Jesus informed them that He, and He only, was the true and good shepherd who is welcomed by the gatekeeper. That's John the Baptist. In fact, this passage, this whole chapter ends when they go back across the Jordan to the place where John began his ministry and people over there said, John did no sign. He didn't heal anybody. But everything John said about this man was true. So many believed on him there. But not the, not the Jews, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. So he is the, the true shepherd. And notice in verse uh, number 3, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own by name and leads them out. And he, in other words, he's saying to the Jews, I, uh, I don't know your name. I'm, it's not that he didn't know their names, it's that he didn't, they weren't part of his flock. But he knows his own by name. And he calls and leads them out, see? By this then, Jesus meant that he was leading his own, the believing remnant, out of the sheepfold of Judah into his new fold, the church. This is what people don't, don't see. He leads them out. Out of what? The sheepfold. He came to the sheepfold and the gatekeeper recognized him. That's John the Baptist. He entered the sheepfold. He called his own by name. For example, Matthew. That that passage continues to amaze me. He walks up to this man who's keeping uh, this booth of custom taxes for the Roman government. That's a great responsibility. Jesus walks by and says two words to him. Follow me. Matthew put a clothes sign in the booth and left it immediately and walked behind. Why did Matthew follow Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit of God renewed his heart in regeneration. And he heard the voice of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And he said, There's where I'm going. That's it. So he then also tells us that he's the door. But he's the door to the new fold, not the old one. John Baptist was last of the Old Testament prophets. Spoken of there in the book of Malachi. But now we have a new fold and Jesus is the door of that one. And as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me or but through me, see? He's the door. He's the only way to salvation. So we read then in verse number 9, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So there he is. uh, He closed here by doubling down. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And then he continued, Other sheep... Have I, that's Gentiles, that are not of this Jewish fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And there will be one fold, the church, and one shepherd, Jesus. That's verses 14 and 16. So now we come to the second part of this conversation that takes place. It takes place six months after the first one at the, and, uh, at the Feast of Dedication, which there in verses 22 through 30. This feast was established, as we talked about last week, during the intertestamental period after the Hasmoneans under Judas the Hammer revolted and overthrew Antiochus Epiphanes 
and the Grecian-Syrian domination of Jerusalem. The Jews celebrated this rededication of the temple with the Feast of Dedication, which uh, is known as Hanukkah. It's uh, celebrated in December. There, there are many who argue that Christmas time, that our Christmas holiday, was patterned after the uh, solstice, winter solstice of the pagans. But as I, my my view is a little different. I I really believe that Christmas was patterned after the Jewish celebration of the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights. Because of the similar, there's there's some interesting similarities. I won't go into all of them right now, but it's in December. Usually starts around the 25th of uh, December, somewhere in that territory. The Jewish calendar changes, so uh, it's different in our calendar. It's celebrated with lights. What do we do, like to do at Christmas? Is hang up lights. It's a celebration. Joy and happiness and festivity and gathering. And it's done at home. The big emphasis is, is it's being done at home. Those are all patterned after Hanukkah. I think Christmas is Christian Hanukkah. That's <laughs> what it is. Not, uh, not, not following the pagans and their midwinter solstice. But during this time, and, and see, here's the, this is the other interesting thing. is We celebrate the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. We know that wasn't his birthday. But the Feast of Dedication was also a celebration of the expectation of Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah to come. And during this Feast of Dedication, I believe God established it so that when the Jews celebrated this, their hearts were awakened again to the prospect of a coming Messiah. And they're looking for him. So that messianic expectation was very high during this feast period. So this is why they said at that period, why do you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Verse 24. We casually read this. We don't catch that connection, but that's, there it is. So Jesus responded, and I'm here paraphrasing again, I told you and you continue to tell me, uh, you, but you do not, you know, you, you keep asking me, but you do not believe. In other words, you haven't put you don't you don't understand the truth here, and you do not trust me. Rather, he continued to bear down then on his judgment of them. They did not believe because they were not his sheep. Salvation is the sovereign work of God. Earlier at the Feast of Tabernacles, which was back in the 8th chapter, he said to them, "Who they, they said to him, excuse me, who are you? And Jesus said to them, this is verses 25 through 27 there of chapter 8. They said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand what he was speaking to them about the Father. So what was, the, what was their problem? Simply this, and this we see in chapter 5, verses 38 through 40. And what you see here is this pattern that John is building throughout his his uh, gospel. So back in chapter 5, verse 38, we read, You do not have His, that is God's word, abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom He has sent, the Messiah. 
You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. But you refused to come to me in order that you may, be, may have life. You see that? How he is constantly bearing down? So Jesus here can clearly demonstrated that salvation is the soul, that is the sovereign prerogative of God. There are lots and lots of people who claim to be Christians who just do not get this and don't want to get it. They want to believe that they're in control. It was they who agreed with God to be saved. But my Bible clearly teaches me that nobody would be saved if it were left to them. God has to do the choosing. So this pass, in this passage, Jesus clearly presents this truth that no one makes himself a sheep. You can't decide to be a sheep. The Jews were not his sheep. He's going to lead his true sheep out of that fold and into his new and true fold. The sheep of Jesus were given to him by the Father. And this, is, this he clearly says in, there in verse 29. My Father who has given them to me. My Father who has given them to me. Who the sheep. Back in chapter 6, verse number 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So there we have both sides of, of the issue. The determination of God to bring his own sheep to Christ. And the determination of the sheep to listen to the voice of the shepherd. The responsibility of the sinner to come to him. If you come to me, I will not cast you out. So in his high priestly prayer there in the 17th chapter, he's, he continues with this argument. I have manifest your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept thy word. The Jews didn't. The Jews couldn't hear it. They, they, you search the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. But they have kept your word, his true sheep, the ones that the Father gave to Jesus. And again, he made an astounding statement there in verse number 9 of that 17th chapter. I am not praying for the world. If God's got such a big heart to, to, that all, everybody in the world should be saved, why would Jesus say, I'm not praying for the world? But for those whom you have given me out of the world, see? For they are yours. There's a people in this world that belong to the Father. He chose them from eternity past. It's holy of God, and God's not sitting on His hands hoping someone will be persuaded to come to Him for salvation. He has already chosen them from the foundation of the world. So we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. The Father, He, the Father, chose us in Him, Christ, before the foundation of the world. Christian, take comfort. That is a great encouragement to you. So the salvation of the Lord's sheep requires their believing on Him. Jesus said, you don't believe. Yeah, believing is absolutely essential. However, their believing is the evidence of their being chosen and given to Christ, not the cause of it. The Jews did not believe and thus proved they were not his sheep. But again, sheep do not become sheep because they believe.
Matthew didn't become a Christian because he jumped out of that booth and took off, took after after Jesus, making making a decision for Christ. Matthew got out of that booth and followed Jesus because the Holy Spirit opened his heart. And he heard the voice of Jesus that said, follow me. And sheep do not become sheep because they believe. Rather, they believe because they are his sheep. Peter expressed it this way. I love this. We can take this up this evening. He, that is, this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. He, referring to the Father, has caused us, He has caused us to be born again. We didn't cause, we didn't cause ourselves to be born again. He caused us to be born again. To what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christ's resurrection is our guarantee that what God promised to us is, is ours. It's guaranteed to us. And what is it? An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. He doesn't even allow us to have responsibility for that because He knows how miserably we do. It's kept in heaven for us who by God's power are being guarded, and notice this, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Your believing is the evidence. And if you truly are a believer, you will believe. And, but it's not your believing that causes it to be kept. It's God guarding it. But he guards it through your faith. So if you're not like Peter, following Jesus, you can profess Jesus all day long, but it's not God keeping you. So thus, we wish to address this great promise. And here again, I'm, I'm good at these big porches. We'll get into the house. The house is not so big. But uh, we wish to address this great promise that Jesus gives in this text. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. And I give to them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand, my care. I'm the good shepherd. They're in, are under my hand. They're under my care. And no thief or robber is going to get them. To steal them away to make them their own lunch. No. And the Father who gave them me is greater than all. And no one will, is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. In this purpose we are solid and agreed. And he's not speaking here about deity either. He's speaking about purpose. Their unity of purpose. So I see two things here in this passage. And then I want to address one issue of eternal security. But the first issue that I wish to address in the passage has to do with the preservation of his sheep. Because that has to come. That's first. The preservation of his sheep. And then the second, see, as Peter says, we are kept through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the end. That's the perseverance. Our believing involves the perseverance of his sheep. So God is responsible for the preservation of his sheep. The believers, in a sense, are responsible for their perseverance. But again, it's the God's power working in them that causes us perseverance as well. And I want to make that clear. It's not up to you. The Father has His own designs. So the first thing I want you to observe, Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice and I know them. Like Matthew. Or like Peter and, and uh, James there when uh, they were mending their nets there and Jesus walked by and said, 
follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Immediately. They didn't stop and say, wait a minute, uh, we got a responsibility. Dad's, you know, James and John, their, their father was the son of thunder. He is a guy you don't want to mess with. So they're going to leave their nets and have the son of thunder come down on them? Oh, no, no, no. But that's, you know, they immediately followed him. Why? They heard his voice. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And why Jesus gave his life for the sheep? He paid for their sins. He delivered them from God's wrath in the punishment of their sins. He gave them eternal life. And eternal life. Notice, eternal life. He gave it to the sheep. Which that eternal life is really sharing his own life with them. And as a consequence, they shall never perish. You don't have to worry about losing your salvation. Not if Jesus Christ has saved you. You are secure in his hand. How is this so? See, because Jesus keeps them. In the high priestly prayer again, Jesus promised, since you have given him authority over all flesh. That has to do with purpose. Jesus' purpose is to give uh, eternal life to his people. So God, in order for this to take place, gave Christ authority over all flesh. And because of that, he is to give eternal life to all those whom you have given him. In other words, Christ here is taking upon himself the responsibility of our salvation. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Then he gave us to Christ to save. And if Christ fails in any way, it's his problem, not yours. That's what he's saying. This is and this is eternal life. This is it. I have the purpose of God to take a people out of sin, transform them, and give them my life so that they may live forever. That's eternal life. John 17, 2 and 3. And again, down in verse 12 of chapter 17, he says, while I was with them, I, I kept them in your name. And here's Peter, see? Peter denied him three times. But did Jesus let Peter go? Not on, no, not at all. Peter said, Peter basically said it, that because he had denied the Lord three times, God doesn't want anything more to do with me. I'm done. I'm giving it up. I'm going back to fishing. Jesus had called him from the nets. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But now Peter says, I blew it. It's over. God didn't want anything more to do with me. I'm going back to fishing. Did Jesus let him go back to fishing? No, he shows up there on the seashore. Hey, children, have you caught any meat? Now we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Throw your net over the side again. Now they couldn't pull it in for the multitude of the fish it contained. And Peter said, it's the Lord. He didn't even wait to get in. He jumped in. Swam to shore. And Jesus, the good shepherd, said to that sheep, do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep. Three times he denied him. Three times he confessed his love. Did Peter bring himself back to Christ? No. Peter was brought back by Christ, the good shepherd. See, the Father keeps them. 
I am no longer in the world, he says in the 17th chapter, verse 11, he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Since, I, since I'm not going to be there to take care of them, Lord, Father, you're going to have to do that. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Are we one? Is the church one? Are we all agreed? Are we together in this matter? See, that's the Father's keeping. Then the believer has nothing to do with this keeping. Rather, he's hidden with Christ in God. Paul explains this in Colossians 3 and verse 4. Verses 3 and 4. For you have died, and you, see, notice, you, believer, have died. And he's speaking to Gentiles, those other sheep that I must bring into the fold. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Isn't that a great promise? <laughs> So this truth then of being hidden with hidden in Christ is based on the oneness of Jesus and the Father. I and the Father are one, as I previously mentioned here in chapter 10 verse 30. Then in chapter 17 verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. This is not Speaking of this oneness here is not speaking of the of, of the Trinity. It's speaking of oneness or unity of purpose. And this unity of purpose, it was necessary to accomplish the salvation of his people. God gave his people to Jesus. He came to earth taking human flesh to die for them in order that the Father could then save them and give them eternal life. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah 2, 9. This is what Peter discusses then in his first letter. He, the Father, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So then, what does our... See, through faith now. So that's the next question. What does our faith have to do with it? What does our faith have to do with it? My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. So, three things here. Number one, sheep are preserved through their perseverance. Nobody can call himself a sheep if he's not following Jesus. We've got a lot of people who want Jesus. They want their salvation in Jesus. They want to be sure that when they die, they're going to heaven. But they want to follow their own course, their own life, their own will, do their own thing. What pleases them? Not Jesus. Jesus said, They follow me. And here again, see? Here's Matthew. He's, his course was tax collecting. And he's making some good money tax collecting. Well, Jesus, I'll follow you... Uh, you know, I'll be in church on Sunday, but I'm not going to be. I'm going to stay in the booth here because I got to keep these taxes coming. The government's looking out for for me to do this job for them, collecting the taxes because we got to pay for the roads and we got to pay for this and we got to pay for that. And I got to collect the taxes to be able to do that. And I'm making a little money on that now for my retirement. And so, yeah, I'm going to follow you, but I got to stay in the tax booth right now. Is that what uh, is that what happened? But that's what happens with many Christians. I'll follow Jesus as long as I am not inconvenienced in it. 
As long as I can continue to watch my sports, I can continue to play my own life, go fishing, have fun, have a boat, have a vacation place in the mountains. As long as I'm doing what I want to do, I'll live for Jesus. So Jesus bless me. No, no, that's not the way it works. Here, again, it's not their persevering that preserves them. But their perseverance is the evidence that they are being preserved. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 13, The one who endures to the end shall be saved. Not endures living your own life. Peter, I'm going to stay with fishing. Jesus said, no, you're not. You're going to come feed my sheep. I'm not very good at that. I've already denied you. Doesn't make any difference. If you, if you belong to me, if you love me, feed my sheep. The biblical idea is that his people should persevere, manifesting continual and progressive spiritual growth. Second Peter 3, this is Peter talking. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible provision for this growth is stated here earlier in Second Peter, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Here again, by His divine power, He's granted us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire second peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 listen to that See, it's hard to live for christ here So it is God's divine power alone that grants to the believer all things that pertain to life and to godliness and that this life through their believing his very precious and very great promises. And then thirdly here this the practical reality is that most professing Christians live somewhere between the ideal and total apostasy. Two extremes. One trusts everything to grace, exercising a lack of perseverance in the will of God. The other trusts everything to doing and persevering, believing that grace will fill in the gaps where they fail. Grace, however, is God's power enabling believers to persevere through their works for God. His will. Only those who do His will have eternal life. Thus we have Paul's testimony. By the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Paul endured, endured all kinds of hardships but he kept on keeping on because he knew that it was not him doing it, it was God working him. James, on the other hand, says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have good have works? You call yourself a Christian. Let me ask you, what is the evidence for that in your life by way of good works? Hmm? What are you doing? James says, what good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith alone save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one says, and one of you says, go in peace and be warmed, that's generally how we do it. Oh, I have a prayer need. We need to pray for so-and-so. Oh, I hope that God takes care of him, be warmed and filled. What good is that? So faith by itself does not, if it does not have good works, 
is dead. So here we see the preservation of his sheep through the perseverance of their faith, which evidences itself in their doing the will of God by his grace and enablement. Thus, we have two sides of our spiritual experience. The gracious faithfulness of the good shepherd. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. On the other hand, we have their continual need for revival which the, in the sheep because we have this tendency to stray. But what does the good shepherd do? He's always seeking the stray. And if, he, and if you're straying and he's not seeking you, you've got a problem. And we will continue to do that as long as we're in this world. Now, I want to close here with just a touch uh, on this doctrine of eternal security. There are a lot of Christians who believe that they're going to heaven when they die because they made a decision for Jesus Christ and they believe in eternal security. When God says He's going to save me, I'm saved for life. Doesn't matter what I do. And this is not Bible either. I don't believe in the doctrine of eternal security as it's often taught in fundamental churches. Eternal security assumes that God must keep all who profess faith in Christ in spite of their careless spiritual lives. Worldly Christians love this doctrine because it gives them security in their deliberate disobedience. I'm, I, I know I'm not living for Jesus the way I ought to be living for Him, but I don't care. God's going to save me anyway. I wouldn't count on that. On the other hand, the Bible teaches that God's keeping power is necessary because people fail to follow Jesus consistently and obediently. I'm a sheep. My tendency is to wander. I fail Him so miserably, so many times. The key distinction here that, the, that true sheep desperately desire to live in obedience, expressing their continual repentance for their failure. So we read there in Psalm 119. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. And give me life in your ways. That's how the true, a true sheep responds. He knows he's a failure. He often strays. So he's constantly pleading to the shepherd. Keep me. True saints live in perpetual revival. And revival is not a sudden and mysterious work of God. That's an awakening. Revival is simply living the Christian life as God intends it to be lived. And in that living, we must continually exercise repentance and strive for obedience and rest in His provision. If you are a revived Christian, this is what you're doing. You're continually repenting. You're constantly striving to obey. And you're resting in His provision to do it. So we read there in Revelation 2 and verse 5. Remember therefore, from where you are fallen, repent and do the first works or the works that you did at the first. The Bible clearly links faith and obedience. One cannot claim to have saving faith and live in perpetual disobedience. This is why Paul admonished the disobedient Corinthians, whom he said, I stand in doubt of you. So he tells them in chapter 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. What? And here he gives us the test. Do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you indeed fail to meet the test. 
follow me, is what Jesus said, see. So there's a difference between a spiritual awakening and a revival. Revival is the renewal or quickening of spiritual life in a believer. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. An awakening is a sudden work of God resulting in salvation of many souls with renewed spiritual interest. I'm praying for that. So there's a great need these days for a spiritual awakening. So we read in Habakkuk, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and, the, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So let me... In closing, let me just ask you, are you living carelessly? Living for yourself? Living, you know, I got Jesus over here. He's taking care of me, but I really don't, I'm not interested in serving the Lord. I'm interested in just Him keeping me. And you believe you're secure in Jesus, but you refuse to take responsibility for change. Or do you take seriously your responsibility to obey Christ although you know yourself to be weak and failing. And I close this with a great prayer here from Brother Michael Durham. And if you'll pray with me. Because we have trust, not trusted you. We have forsaken you. We have depended on ourselves and not you to live for you. But today we refuse ourselves the right to trust self any longer we trust that you will lift us out of the pit into which we have fallen you will hear our heal our backslidings and cause us to be renewed we trust O oh lord that you will grant us stead, a steadfast spirit that will not rise and fall by our circumstances, but remain transfixed on you and your sufficiency. Restore us to the joy of our salvation and make us to walk in your statutes. You are the vine. We are the branches. You are our life. Live your holy life through these humble branches. Amen.